to yet another episode of the DIY Sugar Baby Podcast. Uh, this is probably going to be our only episode for December, of course, because it's the holiday season. And of course, um, we wish you a wonderful, wonderful holiday season, regardless of whatever it is that you are celebrating. When I first started this podcast, it was very much like a challenge, a self-challenge to learn another platform and also because so many of my viewers over on TikTok were asking me for longer form content to explain more and go further in depth about um, some of the content that I talk about, including positive affirmation, caregiving skill sets, that sort of thing. And that actually is going to be our main focus, our topic for today in this podcast episode is going to be specifically regarding caregiver doms how you find them, how do you negotiate consensually for care. We'll also be answering viewer questions at the very end. This will be just our, our announcements and just chatting portion, as well as our thank you. Our thank you and shout outs to those who are supporting the platform. Like I said, all of my content is all about negotiation um, and consensual, enthusiastic affirmation. And there's so many of you out there who have been positively affirming my content, be it through likes, comments, shares, and of course, a big thank you for our most recent subscriber, Elias. Thank you for uh, supporting my platform as well as to SM as well. SM is going really above and beyond to help and support my content. They're actually helping me put together a full PC build, not just for the streaming and gaming over on Twitch, but also so that I can make better content and edit things because, oh my gosh, my poor little laptop is struggling. Uh, we also want to say a huge thank you to those who are supporting me over on Twitch. This includes Chaos Fox, Balamonka, uh, Pin em Up as well. Pin em Up is a wonderful content creator also on YouTube, Twitch, and TikTok. Uh, this is a special thank you to Pin em Up also for contributing to the GoFundMe that I have connected to my Twitch. Whatever goes in there helps with subscriptions. It helps with um, updating my content, going towards the PC build, all of that good stuff. Uh, and also a special thank you to Ludog as well. There are a number of you who show up consistently in my content to support me and go that extra mile. And thanks to that, I get to do what I love to do. And what I love to do, I am a content creator, a variety streamer. A lot of you have probably found me from over on TikTok. I'm that kinky, that kinky witch from TikTok, the stereotypical rebel pastor's daughter. But my content really is all about affirming the conscious, informed, valid adult decisions that you are making for your own well-being. We kind of live in a world that very much decides that it has the right to overstep ethical boundaries, to decide for you, just to look at you and evaluate you according to, well, their standards of what your well-being should look like. And here on my platform, we are all about saying, no, your conscious valid life decisions are between you and your registered uh, mental and physical health 
professionals and providers. We do not get to decide for you what is healthy or effective for you, whether you be um, an active lifestyle or pro kingster or uh, Shrek's worker or accountant, regardless of if you are witchy and pagan in a world that uh, is very pro-Christian right now. And even if you also are Christian, interfaith, that sort of thing, this platform is really at the, at the core of it about just delving into and exploring the fun, crazy things that our squishy little brains really like. What is, we're really just here to celebrate the things that make our brain go And apparently that is actually catching on. There's a lot of people who tell me now in like just actual life, they'll tell me, uh, Rosie, this is now something I say in real life. If something makes me happy and it, I say it makes my brain Yes, thank you so much to everybody who has been coming out and supporting this House of Courts content, supporting my content and my platform, whether you've joined the Discord server, we've actually passed well over 500 members at this point over there. Uh, you are welcome to join. That link is, of course, below in the description. We are approaching our first 1,500 followers over on Twitch, which I am just so excited about. And of course, we're running uh, so many different events. Special shout-outs to uh, one of my admins, Blitzboo. They're going just the extra mile every time to bring people together and help me coordinate and run these events. Uh, for December, we are actually doing an advent calendar featuring a, just a plethora of different streamers and content creators every day featuring a new person that we just we love and support their content we're trying to uplift them and and give viewers uh, just new variety new new people that they might want to interact with and support because of course that support is all about uh, if you are supporting my platform you're supporting the platform of other content creators you're doing so enthusiastically and consensually because you like the content that we make and that's really what helps build that kind of synergy there I think the world is kind of moving towards a direction uh, with social media where we are starting to move away from the more predatory stuff in regards to like, oh, we're going to sponsor you, but the product itself is really iffy. We're kind of moving away from just like scam sort of stuff. If you are supporting a content creator, then it is because that you are investing in the content you're consuming from us, but also because you enthusiastically and authentically really just want to see our platforms grow, continue to engage with it, and because you genuinely do actually like what we put out there. And that's something that I'm talking about right now because I became a content creator back in January of 2020, was when I first started making TikToks, and especially over the past year, from about August to August, I have been in survival mode. And right now I'm kind of looking back at my platform, it is now December, and sort of just trying to decide where I want to go from here. Because now that I've received so much affirmation from y'all saying that we appreciate your content and we like what you have to say, which by the way is revolutionary <laughs> to me. Like I grew up that very shy, quiet kid who didn't have a voice and being on social media is incredibly new to me. There's so much... <laughs> So much that I've learned as we've been going. But now that y'all have helped me get to a better place, we're going to be investing in like even better equipment. We're going to be investing in like filming space, stuff like that. Um, first of all, just wanted to thank all of you who've been here, who've been here recently. You just found my content or you've been there from the start, like way back in like the Cards Against Humanity tarot days on TikTok. Thank you so much for, for being here. I appreciate you 
and if you are consistently engaging with my content, I definitely notice, I remember you, and I'm very happy to see you here. And you see, as we are going to go into this podcast episode today, we're going to be delving in specifically into my Headspace Caregiver Dom content. I know a lot of you have found me from my PFU videos where I'm saying things like, your worth is not your productivity. Uh, we're saying things like, you're not a burden. And of course, we end up seeing a lot of responses from that about like, how do I find myself a caregiver dom? Um, how do I negotiate for care? I do feel like a burden. So we're gonna be addressing some of those questions within this content. And if you've been following me over on Twitter, on my like spicy Twitter, if you've been following my TikTok content, then you may have seen me respond to some sermon content that came out of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, which is what I was raised in. I guess a little bit background about me is that I was raised Adventist. Um, my parental unit became a pastor when I was like in my mid-teens, but we were raised very cloistered, very much in like a little bit of a bubble. So there's a lot of media that I've missed out on growing up. There's a lot of social context that I've missed and I'm now catching up on as an adult. So many songs, TV shows, movies, um, even just like little things that like kids learned in elementary school, like through socializing that I completely missed. Like the game, for example, I had no idea what people meant when they said you've lost the game, which you're welcome. You've all lost the game. <laughs> <laughs> Did I do that right? I still, I still don't. I still don't know. But I was put through the Seventh-day Adventist school system from kindergarten with a combination of homeschooling right on through to grade 12. I also received a degree in adventure-based counseling from the SDA University in Canada and then from there was able to do a couple more years of post-secondary university in a secular university, thank goodness. But I specialized a lot in uh, counseling and psychology. That was very much my special interest. And I'd already started working professionally within childcare years, years prior. And then from there, we went from childcare to senior care and disability care. So I have about a decade's worth of caregiving experience behind behind me. Uh, last year after I left uh, a long-term relationship within the context of Adventism that was not safe or healthy for me, uh, that's where I definitely went into survival mode. I was working my butt off to be visible and seen and there was a lot of, there's a part of me that was very terrified at disappearing. I was so grateful for my presence on TikTok and I was terrified of ever being permanently banned or anything because I didn't want to disappear uh, because if I disappeared then there was a chance that I could get sucked back in in some way. Conversion therapy has only just been banned in Canada. Fuck's sake. I can't even believe it was a thing at all. It should have been banned immediately. Conversion therapy has never been rooted in any actual scientific basis. It was never tested. It was never run through an ethics committee. A lot of the people who are put through conversion therapy, there's no follow-up with them. So I am just so, I am so grateful and happy that this is something, some progress that we are seeing as a society, that we are beginning to actually hopefully hold to some some ethical boundaries. But it was really the kink community. It was through kink talk that I actually was able to to learn and start expressing those caregiver skills in a very different ways, a way that felt healthier for me and a way that didn't feel like such a burnout. 
uh, because like I said, I was working in senior care and disability care and um, honestly, speaking quite frankly as an online sex worker, I have never felt taken advantage of or like I was selling my body as I did while working in senior and disability care. Like the medical, they talk about like glamorize, don't glamorize sex work. No, honestly, it is, if any, if there's any industry that can have long-term uh, negative impacts on your brain and body, but is glamorized, uh, it's the medical field. But as positive affirmation became a really strong foundation of my platform, um, I also really started to put out there that something I very strongly believe in is that affirmation and attention are basic human needs that are valid and when they're not addressed they can have long-term negative impacts on our emotional and physical health. So today I am a lifestyle and pro kinkster. I actually did collab work with uh, Plum Mistress or Mistress Plum. We started a joint Instagram account linked below that is Plum Ropes where we show off our progress uh, learning learning ropes together and as I've seen people reacting to the POV content that I make there's definitely been uh, a number of reactions and one of the first usually being people being very surprised surprised that the caregiver content resonated with them a lot of comments like huh I didn't think this is something I'd be attracted to or also putting it out there that kink is not about sex it's in <laughs> kink is inherently not about sex. Kink is mental before it is physical, which means that it is customizable and that it is something that you can use, headspace can be used to meet a variety of different core needs. Asexual kinksters are valid. So what are some reasons that somebody might engage in kink? I'll be quoting uh, our featured resource for today, and that is the new bottoming book. This was written by Dossie Eaton and Janet W. Hardy. And the, the new topping book, the new body book, tend to be the go-tos right now in the kink community for more information. And right near the beginning, uh, if you have a copy of this or you're going to get one in the future, you're going to be looking for page 12. But some of the reasons that they list for uh, bottoming specifically, we're just going to do some examples, is that bottoming lowers the intimacy boundaries between people. It kind of brings about and cultivates a deeper sense of trust and intimacy with your play partner. Another reason they bring up relating back to attention as a basic human need is that um, when you bought a lot of people who do bottoming, for example, once again, bottoming does not have to refer to sex. It can refer to the headspace, right? You are the bottom. It's about power exchange. So you have the power coming from top to bottom. And for a lot of bottoms, it is about feeling desired. It is it's it's the intent you feel the intent of the person that you are entrusting yourself to and of course the the third thing they list is that when you're bottoming you feel nurtured and taken care of for a lot of people that is a very important feeling many caregivers such as myself love bottoming because it's our chance it's our chance to receive the intent of care from somebody else. They mentioned in the fifth point that bottoming is something that can put you in the headspace of respite, being able to process the stress that you've gone through. Headspace is basically you've stepped out of this, this mindset, you are now over here. Stress does not have to exist while you're in this headspace, which can allow your body a chance to process the stress 
and move it out of your body. Of course, uh, bottoming has stimulus rewards. For those of us, such as myself, who are sensory seeking, kink is something that actually delves really hardcore into the sensory experience. And so if you're neurodivergent, ADHD, things like that, kink is something that a lot of people just really enjoy. It makes their brains because there's so much that can be going on. You've got wax, you've got impact, you've got like sensory scratches, that sort of thing. It's, it's a little bit more immersive and in-depth than vanilla interactions tend to be. For those of us with praise kinks who are all about the positive affirmation of feeling like we've achieved or accomplished something, kink uh, kind of relates to like the good girl, good boy uh, moments where, oh, I got to do something for you and I made you feel good and that makes my brain feel amazing. So those are just some examples of why somebody might be engaging in a power exchange related headspace, uh, kink spaces. What we're going to be talking about specifically, however, is the caregiver dom. And of course, the caregiver dom does not have to be exclusively a caregiver. They can also be a sadist or any other type of dom as well. Uh, a lot of caregivers are associated with working with age regressors, littles, and pets. Those are all various types of bottoms, and once again, bottom does not necessarily relate to sex. And in fact, a lot of dynamics, especially littles and age regressors, sex is not involved whatsoever. Because uh, a lot of people feel uh, icky about, even though this is technically adult, like if you're in a childlike headspace, um, most tops are not going to feel sexually attracted to that. They're going to be there because uh, topping fulfills certain core needs for them. For example, the need to care. There are a number of people for whom caring for others consensually and enthusiastically is something that they genuinely enjoy and that's what makes their brain brrrr. I am one of those people. I love being cared for and I love caring for others. For example, I did some collab work with that pin of witch a couple weekends ago and as soon as they walked in the door I was just like, hey, do you want water? Do you want tea? We've got juice boxes. Do you want like eggnog? Do you want chocolate milk? And they started laughing at me and they were like, yeah, uh, it was the chocolate milk, really, that is exactly what I would expect a caregiver dom to have in their fridge. Like, going above and beyond to provide care is very much something that resonates with me, and I love doing it. Of course, always within the boundaries of I can't fix mental or physical health. I am the support. I will drive you to the therapy appointment, but it's the therapist and you working together that are going to be doing that specifically. I am just the support. Outside of all that, I can consensually and enthusiastically agree to remind you to take your meds every day. I can consensually and enthusiastically help you with meal prep. But if at any point I, as the caregiver, expect your mental health to improve because I am in your life and providing that care, that is overstepping some ethical boundaries. So how does one find a caregiver dom? Ultimately, what it comes down to every time is visibility, actually being active within the kink community is what is going to put you in contact with various doms and subs and other people who are in the community. And as a content creator, I am very visible myself and actively network with other creators who are visible. I know who's doming, I know who's subbing, I know who's a switch because I am visible and active. 
And there's a lot of people who would really like to establish a relationship with a dom, but the dom community doesn't know that they exist. It's, it's one thing to watch their content or to sit in on parties and things like that, but if you're not engaging and if you're not out there, then it's going to be a lot more difficult for doms to connect with you. It's going to be a lot more difficult for them to actually know that you're there to develop interest in. And of course, even if you're like, if you're at an event and you're very quiet in the background, one of them may come up to you and initiate a conversation. But the core foundation of a healthy kink dynamic is communication, is actively putting it out there that you want to explore, you want to learn, you want to network, you want to develop, to develop connections. And you don't even have to start with the DOMS. One of the best places to start networking in the kink community is if you are a sub or a switch, that's more like what you identify with, network with other subs. Because the ones who are the most visible, the ones who are the most active in the community, and the ones who are doing the most networking are also the ones who are going to be able to tell you uh, who the missing stairs are in the community, what doms um, should you be wary of. Because of course, like any community, the kink world has its predatory people, those who sit in those parties, those who sit within those communities and watch for the newcomers coming in and they will be and the predatory part is that they know that something you're seeking something you're desiring and they'll prey specifically on that and the the lack of visibility because being visible in your community also means that if something happens to you if predatory people are approaching you it's more likely for someone to see it and go um hey wait a minute and missing stairs are the people that everyone in the community knows are predatory but newcomers in the community are not going to know that right away and can be sucked in by them so when it comes to networking specifically within the kink world doing some research online, finding out who your local communities are. Um, of course, there's always fat life. However, you're going to probably run into a lot of very uh, suspect interactions there. For example, I received a message this past week uh, asking me if I wanted to join a couple in the local area, and he says I am a 41-year-old with a slave obedient dynamic with a 21-year-old submissive. And that put up many red flags for me, uh, especially regarding the age difference, the fact that it was a male to female specific and that it was like a good 20 years difference and that she was an obedient slave. Because the decision-making center of your brain is not fully developed until closer to around 25, I personally am not comfortable playing with or establishing power exchange, especially power exchange dynamics with younger people. Because power exchange in headspace, especially if it is a lifestyle thing, if it's a daily reinforcement, you run the risk of seriously messing with somebody's cognitive development. And that is just something that I'm not comfortable with doing, at least for myself personally. So if I see somebody who has developed a 20 year age gap, with somebody who is under 25, like between 18, between, well, seven, between 17 to 21 in particular, oof, like that is very suspect. Something else to keep an eye out for is if you see somebody developing dynamics with people and there is a consistent, consistent age gap. It's, it's not that like, oh, they played with a 21 year old, but they also played with a 42 year old. They also played with a 30 year old. If they are consistently only playing with people who are very new to the community and they're very young, that person is 
there's a good chance that person is very predatory and they're looking specifically for people who won't recognize that they're predatory. What I really want to address with this video is actually the concept of requiring care but feeling like a burden. There's a lot of people within uh, kink dynamics or power exchange dynamics who are chronically ill. There's a lot of people with trauma, like I mentioned, you might have the age regressors, uh, you might have the littles, things like that. For whatever reason, you may require support in your life. Um, for whatever reason, a power exchange dynamic is going to be something that you find is very helpful for you. So we're going to talk about negotiating for care and negotiating specifically to receive care from a caregiver within the context of power exchange to receive care that they are providing to you enthusiastically and consensually. So when it comes to negotiating for that, we're going to cover about four key areas. This topic could go on for literally hours, but honestly these four core aspects can be a lot to process, to chew over on their own. So if you want me to talk more about this in the future, just comment it down below, DM me on Instagram, Discord, Patreon. One of the first things that you're going to be looking for, our first uh, foundational tenant here, is to actually evaluate, sit down with them and figure out what their core strengths are as caregivers. What type of caregiving do they like to provide? Is this somebody who specializes in affirmation? Is this somebody who specializes in physical hands-on care? Is this somebody who's good with helping support with executive functioning? Because remember, if they are a caregiver dom, they like to provide that care. They want to provide that care. So once you've identified what type of caregiver you are talking to, then you can ask yourself and bring up with them the type of support that you need. Now this is in particular the point that is going to be the toughest to sit with because a lot of us, myself included, like to perceive that we can handle it, that we've got this, that we don't actually need that level of support, or we may have just automatic reactions of, if I receive the support, I'm weak, I'm a burden, all of that stuff. And when it comes to an enthusiastic, consensual dynamic, you're going to want to be honest with yourself and with them and being real and just be realistic about the type of care and how consistently you're going to need that care. Because remember, consent needs to be informed and it needs to be specific. So if you're going to develop a caregiver dynamic with somebody and you don't want to feel like a burden, the more specific you are and the more information you can give them, the more effective the care that they can give you. If they know the care you need and how realistically they can meet those needs, then the more enthusiastic and consensual the dynamic is. So the types of support you require are could be in a variety of areas. Maybe you are a pet, for example. And let's say you're a pet who's struggling with executive functioning. So you might negotiate with a caregiver for meal times as a pet. Because remember, that headspace is all about being the pet. So part of the dynamic might be that your caregiver is literally doing meal times with you the same way they would with a pet. But that is because that is something that you require because maybe you have a hard time remembering meals. Maybe you have a hard time with meal prep. And they are consensually and enthusiastically 
helping to meet this need with you. <laughs> Let's say that you are a little. Caregiver doms who provide positive affirmation tend to resonate with a lot of littles. So you might be asking to negotiate for affirmation supports where you go into the little headspace and you just need someone to be like, yes, you are such a good girl. You're such a good girl. Here are your stuffies. Now let's go into like a tougher example, um, age regression, because there is a lot of stigma surrounding age regression in particular. Uh, there may be stigma regarding, well, you shouldn't be doing this. You're an adult. Your brain should not be slipping into this headspace. And the response to that is they are not the expert in your life. They're not the expert in your experience. They do not inhabit your brain and therefore they don't have any say over what your brain is doing. That is between you and your licensed registered mental health professionals. So when it comes to negotiating support when you're experiencing an age regression, what that might mean is that you are negotiating for a very specific type of support during that headspace. So you are providing information regarding um, what you're feeling while you're in that headspace and what really helps you while you're there. You get to decide what support is effective for you because you are the expert in your life and your experience. No dom gets to decide for you what is an effective headspace or what headspace you should be in. Third foundational point that I would offer you as a caregiver dom myself to consider if you would like to negotiate for support with a caregiver dom is to provide them, once again relating to informed and specific consent, is how you indicate to your caregiver when you need support. What is your signal that you give them, be it a physical one if you're going nonverbal, maybe it is literally a verbal one, or of course the example of this is just a regular routine thing that you have negotiated for. What is your tell to the DOM that support is needed so that they know when to go into that mode with you. If you've gone nonverbal, something like three taps on the hand. Maybe you could be um, using their honorific. Or if this is a daily lifestyle thing where you have negotiated with them to consistently throughout the day do or say something with you. And the last foundational thing that I would suggest to you to consider when you are negotiating for support or care with a caregiver top or dom is you are going to negotiate the backup plan if they cannot realistically provide support for you. Because this relates specifically to the burden aspect of receiving support. Because as somebody who works in the caregiver field, I can definitely tell you it is a high burnout rate. But having things in place like backup plans is what helps keep the caregiver safe from burnout and to continue providing care on a sustainable level with the person who they are in a dynamic with. For example, let's say uh, once again age regressor, you know that there are certain times where you are just slipping, slipping into a little headspace. But for whatever reason, your top, your dom, cannot be there. They are emotionally out of spoons, maybe they're physically drained, or they physically cannot be present thanks to work, travel, family, friends, other things that are going on. Your backup plan is what is going to go into place if they can't actually be there. So an example of a backup plan for somebody who may require um, emotional support from their top, if the top cannot be there, uh, let's say somebody has gone nonverbal and they require support but the top cannot provide it. They go up to their top and they do like a three tap on the hand to say, oh, I, I need care, my brain's doing the thing. The top might say, okay, 
I cannot do this with you right now, so we're going to go and do our backup plan. And the backup plan is that, let's say you have a safe space set up, and I as the top would say, okay, um, I'm very tired right now, so I just need an hour or two to nap. Um, I'm going to make myself some tea, things like that. I need to decompress and be alone. So what you're going to do is we're going to grab your blanket, your compression blanket. You're going to grab a juice box and you're going to go to your decompression tent or maybe you're going to grab the special stuffy and you're going to go put on a cartoon right now. And when I'm ready, I'll come back out and this is just going to be in your space for that time being. Having physical things like stuffies, having safe spaces like decompression tents, having a comfort show or movie, essentially a backup plan for care if the top cannot actively be involved is that it is a physical space or a behavior that you essentially encourage the bottom to do while you cannot be there yourself. So you either tell them to go to their you either tell them to go to their space or you tell them, okay, you're going to do this, you're going to do this behavior, and then I'll check in with you later. So once again, when it comes to negotiating for consensual and enthusiastic care from a caregiver top or dom are have a discussion with them about what type of caregiver they are, what their skill sets are, what their realistic energy levels are. And number two, when it comes to the type of support that you're going to need, you are being as specific as you can. And number three, with your top, you are agreeing the type of way that you're going to indicate to them that you need support. And number four, what is going to go into place uh, when they cannot physically or mentally be there with you, but you are still receiving support. Okay, you see what makes somebody a burden to a caregiver is when they are expecting us to provide care that we have not agreed to provide with them. If somebody is expecting us to spend our time, our resources, our attention, our intent, expecting us to use our skill sets in support of them when we have not actually agreed to do so, that we have not discussed prior, or if they are asking us to provide care after that negotiation that we did not negotiate to, that is what will make somebody feel exhausting to us. And realistically, providing care can be exhausting, but exhausting doesn't necessarily mean inherently a bad thing. Most of the things out there that we really love to do, if we do it for a consistent amount of time, will make you feel tired. You have spent energy on it. And providing care to somebody within the context of a headspace, a dynamic top to bottom energy exchange, you're doing it because you want to and you enjoy it. However, there are realistically many instances where over time, trauma is not convenient. There are going to be times where the caregiver is going to provide care realistically because it is necessary, but they don't actually have the energy to do it. So some things you can negotiate for if you are in a caregiver dynamic is negotiate for consistent decompression time that they have where they are not providing care. Caregivers need to recharge their batteries and if they are and that space does not mean that you are a burden. It is just about them taking care of their brain and body, recharging it so that they can sustainably provide care. And of course I cannot emphasize this enough being as specific as you possibly can about the type of care that you need. Whether it's consistent positive affirmation if it's help with executive functioning, reminders to drink water, taking prescribed medications. None of that has any bearing on your self-worth as a person needing support, requiring support. We are land squids with anxiety 
inhabiting need suits that are doing our best. And of course, your caregiver is also going to need caregiver supports themselves, making sure that they have other people in the community that they can talk to, that they are networking with actively. If they need mental health support, making sure that they have those connections as well. And sometimes in a caregiver dynamic, the person receiving the care also can receive positive affirmation by caring in turn in some way, providing some kind of a service like uh, like head scratches, massages, that sort of thing. But really what makes somebody a burden is somebody who is disrespecting boundaries and consent. If you are being specific and informed about the type of care that you require, you are not being a burden. And if a caregiver cannot realistically meet those needs, that does not make you a burden, it just means that they are not the caregiver that can meet that. Chronic illness does not make you a burden. Trauma does not make you a burden. Those things are not convenient, but they do not make somebody a burden. So if you are negotiating to receive consistent care from a caregiver, top or dom, you are evaluating whether or not their specific skill sets are going to be compatible with the support needs that you have. You're going to want to be specific so that they have all the information that they need regarding how to be an effective caregiver for you. Because the caregiver top wants to feel competent, they want to know that they're doing a good job as well. So the more information they have about the support you need to work with, the happier they're going to be. You're going to set up how you most effectively communicate your need for care, whether it's in the moment care that just happens when it happens, or it's receiving consistent daily forms of care that are part of your routine, to, of course, the backup plan of what type of support is most effective for you when they cannot physically or mentally be there themselves. So once again, I will reiterate, you are not a burden. If a caregiver dom is working with you and you've pre-negotiated that consent, they are freely and enthusiastically providing that care to you because they want to. Providing care to you is also meeting core needs for them. Effective caregiving is not about asking are you a good or bad person for needing or providing care? It's about asking what is or is not effective to meet core needs. And effective caregivers are somebody who has skill sets. They are consistently leveling up those skill sets. And most effective caregivers will have a variety of skill sets and they know how to adapt themselves to the needs of the person that they are providing support to. But your responsibility as the person receiving the care is to consistently check in with the person providing care that this is something that they want to consensually and enthusiastically provide for you. And not only will you want to negotiate for the ways in which you communicate that you need care, you're also gonna to wanna to negotiate for how the caregiver tells you that they're feeling burnt out, that they need decompression time, basically negotiating for them to communicate to you in what way that they need space, they need decompression time, or whatever else needs that they may have. How can they best effectively communicate that to you in a way that doesn't make you feel like a burden, that doesn't make you feel like you're too much? It's just that realistic, oh my gosh, I am so tired, um, I'm kind of having like anger triggers right now, I'm really stressed, whatever else. Um, I just need to take care of myself, so I will check back in with you after I have done that self-care. Because if there are certain ways in which a caregiver is trying to tell you that they need a break, but that is making you feel like a burden, then you're going to want to sit down together and be like, what is their signal to you that they need 
just some time for whatever reason, what needs they're going to be meeting. And of course, while I can, I want to address some of the questions regarding my content that I receive um, through a variety of platforms, um, from Discord, Patreon, um, YouTube comments, uh, TikTok comments. One of the big ones for today, however, was a question I received through TikTok from Yorick the Blasphemous. So Yorick asks, I've been thinking about getting into Shrek's work, but I'm just, very shy and I'm afraid of losing my housing if I do, even though I need the money. So one of the first things that I'm going to address right off the bat in regards to the need for money and Shrek's work is that just like any other job, Shrek's work or sex work has inherent risks to it and a need for money. Engaging in and engaging in sex work specifically because you need the money can put you at higher risk. And engaging in a job because you need the money is valid. Everyone, I think everyone hates that interview question of why are you interested in working here? I need the money, obviously. And of course that's true for myself as well. I enthusiastically and consensually chose uh, sex work, Shrek's work, because I wanted to, but also because I wanted a sustainable form of income. What I will encourage somebody to do, if it is something that you are genuinely interested in, you're going to evaluate the various types of sex work there are, and you're going to determine your acceptable level of risk. Because I am a content creator, my spicy content is something that I am comfortable being visible in. But there are a number of online sex workers who you'll never see their face. They only make content for like certain parts of their body. And of course, some of the risks, the inherent risks of sex work are hits to your self-esteem. It is a highly competitive market, especially online. And while the sex worker community tends to be um, somewhat close-knit, very supportive of each other, we follow each other's content, we often share free trial subscriptions, we boost each other's content. Despite all that positive affirmation, at the same time, especially if you look at where sex workers all have to advertise now as like Sesta Fosta has made things tighter and tighter, is that you also need to evaluate realistically, will advertising your spicy content put your mental health at risk? Because there are a number of people out there, same as if you're going to stream on Twitch or YouTube, you might want to be a gamer or a streamer, but you start streaming and you're literally streaming to zero viewers, one viewer, two viewers. And there's a lot of people who will just take pictures, pictures unclothed, post that to Twitter as an advertisement and get zero likes on it. And that can be really hard on your mental health because taking pictures of yourself without your clothes is putting you mentally in a very vulnerable place. Because I was making TikTok content first and had about 100,000 followers there before I even started making the spicy content, I created a market and a demand for my content before I even started making the spicy stuff. So I did not start with zero. And if you are going to decide to be a online Shrek's worker, for example, and you don't have a prior following, then realistically what you're looking at is starting from zero. It's very similar to answering the question, how can I find a DOM? Increased visibility is what is going to amp your connections, and that includes spicy ones. So the people who actually seek out my content do so because they've often found other types of content that pique their interest 
and drew them into my other platforms such as OnlyFans, whatever else. I've got people who show up looking for literally just positive affirmation content. I've got people who really like the like mm, aesthetic. I've got people who want just audio content because they like the sound of my voice and they've heard it over TikTok so many different times. And another thing you're gonna to want to evaluate is your comfort levels. There's a lot of people who basically just used exposure. It's just repeated exposure to being online that essentially just either they numbed themselves to it or they genuinely did become more comfortable over time. But realistically, something to evaluate and keep checking in with yourself, asking, is this having a positive or negative impact on my self-image and my mental health? because there is no one answer for is sex work healthy for you or not, because that's going to depend on the person. Some people have a very negative experience with it um, based on their past experience, based on their self-image, based on their mental health, uh, based on various economic circumstances, uh, based on bad experiences with clients. That person may experience sex work as just very harmful, not something they want to continue, they wish they'd never done it. Uh, there's other people who have been in it for years, they love what they do, they want to keep doing it, it has a very positive impact on their self-image. Like, you're never going to hear things from my content like, oh, here are my five steps to being a successful sex worker. Here's how to crush it, how not to have any negative impacts, here's how to keep yourself 100% foolproof safe. Because that doesn't exist. There is no way I could guarantee anything like that for you. Just out of my own post-secondary background in psychology, what I will offer to you is that the human brain works according to evaluation. It goes into circumstances and evaluates what is going to be most helpful for it, what behaviors are going to be most helpful for our success in that environment. So if you're going to engage in sex work, and if you're going to become a dentist, if you're going to become a carpenter, if you're going to become a content creator, you're going to be evaluating beforehand and continuously your acceptable level of risk and consistently evaluating the impact it is having on your physical and mental health. I entered the caregiving field working senior care, child care, disability care, and consistently evaluated the impact it had on me, on my self-image, on my mental and physical health, and the answer was being in this aspect of the medical field is really unhealthy for me. I'm good at it, I'm not making money, and my self-image is really low, I'm exhausted, and my health is deteriorating. However, I've been doing sex work online for almost a year now, and my evaluation of that experience it's had for me is that my self-image went up, I am making a sustainable income, and I still thoroughly enjoy what I do. So kind of, um, if you're going to be getting into this, almost like a mood tracker, like you know how they'll encourage you to just like monitor your mental health over time by tracking your moods every day. Track the impact that your job, regardless of if it's sex work or a vanilla civilian occupation everyone generally considers acceptable and doesn't have stigma, checking in with yourself regardless of your career or your job is important. So evaluate, if you're going to be online, evaluate the various options and platforms that are out there and uh, just basically check in with them and see if they're going to be effective for you or not. Now, another uh, two questions that were asked by JDS in my Discord server. First question being, would you rather fight one horse-sized duck 
or a hundred duck-sized horses? And my answer is I would much rather fight a horse-sized duck. Be I think emotionally I would have a tough time, even, even if it's self-defense, I would have a tough time fighting uh, duck-sized horses. I, I think I would literally just sacrifice myself to the horses and be like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, you're too cute. Versus like, if it, as, as a Canadian who lives with geese, a horse-sized duck would have very similar energy to that, and I think that would just overdrive some kind of like primal thing in my head, and I would be able to fight the duck. However, they did have a more serious question paired with that, and it was, uh, what sort of challenges do sex workers face in regards to developing intimate relationships or significant others when compared to your more typical heteronormative relationship? And my answer to that would be it relates back to Fry, the Fry's consent model, right? It has to be freely given, enthusiastic, informed, and specific and reversible. As somebody who is fairly open, more on the poly side of things, as well as being a sex worker, my partners, significant others, people that I'm in a dynamic with, know this about me. I am very specific about it. Uh, one of the things I am very crystal clear with people is that I am not a monogamous person. I have done monogamous marriage before. It was really, really not great for my mental health. It was not an authentic representation of my needs. Since leaving that, um, I've been very open and specific with anybody I'm in a dynamic with, including collabs, about where I am at and because I am specific about what my needs are, who I am authentically, and what my comfort levels are, anybody who engages with me is also doing so enthusiastically and consensually. Whoever is in my life then of course also knows about the sex work. I'm very specific about it. They often see my content, they get free subscriptions to it. They all know this beforehand, which means that they are in a dynamic with me or, or in a relationship with me enthusiastically and consensually, which means that those people, I'm not worried about having negative reactions to being a sex worker because they knew about it beforehand. They knew what it implied. They knew everything about it, the risks, and they enthusiastically consented to a dynamic with me, knowing that that is there, knowing that I'm not giving it up. Because truth be told, I don't have the energy to mask. <laughs> I do not have the energy anymore to not be authentic about who I am, what I do, and what I need. So any partners that I have, they're in my life because they love who I am. They love that about me. They like that I'm a sex worker. I don't get into relationships with people who want monogamy. And if I were to get into a dynamic with somebody where they say, um, I actually want to establish a monogamous relationship with you, I will be very upfront and honest with them and say no. If monogamy is something you require of me, we're ending the relationship right now because it does not fulfill my own core needs. I cannot meet your needs for monogamy here. And of course, the same answer to any person in my life, any partner, collaborator, whatever else who were to ask me to stop doing sex work in order to maintain the relationship with them, the answer would be no. It's going to be the end of the relationship. And I have zero qualms about doing that anymore. I have I have no reservations about ending a relationship where two people realistically cannot meet core needs for each other because giving up who you are authentically, compromising yourself, what you do and what you love to meet the needs of somebody else, that's rooted in things like insecure, anxious attachments. 
It, does, it doesn't necessarily come from a healthy place. And if that person is expecting you to give up who you are authentically to meet their needs, and they're guilting you and telling you that you don't care about them, you don't love them enough, that's not healthy. A safe social environment is one in which they are allowing you to be who you are authentically, and that can include things like sex work, and they do not shame you or guilt you for it. And they do not expect you to give that up or change those parts about you in order to meet their needs. Another question from the server right after that was from Nikki who asked, what is the best way to yeet the big sad and get shit done? And I very much understand the sentiment behind this. Executive functioning is something I very much struggle with. Um, big sad is something that I've experienced since about the age of 15. And there are a number of different influences that in, internally and externally that can influence big sad. And the reality is that a lot of those influences are outside of our control. We live in a world that likes to send out messages that you're just not trying hard enough, you're choosing to be sad, you're choosing to be depressed, and no. No. <laughs> what I will validate for you is that there are a lot of things in regards to mental health that are outside of our control, that um, in many ways our mental health systems, our current medical systems, people are slipping through. Um, COVID really had a lot to do with that. So the answer I have to this question is not one of, oh, here are five steps to do that. Because I'm not a, <laughs> I am not a mental health professional myself. I'm not a registered licensed counselor. And even more importantly, I'm not your registered licensed mental health professional. We've talked about caregiver DOMS, and caregiver DOMS often are support systems that work in tandem with therapists, right? Like maybe you've got a caregiver DOM with a little who drives the little to therapy, the therapist is working with them, and the therapist says, okay, here's a routine that is really going to help you and support you effectively that you've built together with the therapist. The little then comes back to their DOM, shows them their routine that's going to be really helpful, and then the DOM enthusiastically and consensually helps to hold that little to that routine, making meals or uh, prescription reminders, uh, maybe like cleaning, stuff like that. So one of the mitigating factors when it comes to big, sad, and executive functioning is negotiating for support and care. If that is possible, if there's somebody in your life who's willing to provide support, if you're struggling with executive functioning, then consensually negotiating for support is something that can possibly help. However, when it comes to your mental health, I'm always going to direct you to talk to mental health professionals if possible, acknowledging that not everyone has access to that. I will really just reiterate, if you are struggling with executive functioning, if you're struggling with your mental health, that's okay. You're not a burden, you're not worthless, you're not weak, and your self-worth is not your productivity. If if a lack of executive functioning and struggle with mental health is impacting your productivity levels, that does not also negatively impact your worth. And also from our server, Ghost asks, what's your favorite part? Podcasting, streaming, TikToking, Shrek's work, shadow work and Patreon, um, or, or other? <laughs> you know what, this is a tough question to answer because it's, all tied up in content creation for me. I love creating content. Um, I didn't really have much of a voice, like I said at the start of this episode, and just being able to express myself has an inherent joy for me. But I, I will admit 
The spicy stuff, the, the sex work stuff is a personal favorite. There's just an irreverence to it and a fun and a joy that accompanies the sex work that is, is just, it's so fulfilling for me. Final question from Arion. If you could clone yourself, what would you and your clones do? Honestly, I think what I would set my clones to work doing is kind of just like pumping out content. You have Rosie's editing content, Rosie's filming content, and really the whole goal of generating that much content, ultimately if I could, I would create my own version of OnlyFans as a sex worker for other sex workers that is grounded in the psychology education that I have. Because the way a lot of platforms are set up, they take a huge cut from the content creators themselves. There's bad faith. Um, of course, we saw AVN. AVN is demonetizing the platform. That is huge. And honestly, I would love to create a platform that works in genuine good faith with their spicy content creators. <laughs> Can you tell I'm exhausted? Can you tell I'm fed up with Sesta Pasta? Can you tell I am fed up with activist groups who decide for us what is best for us? But that is our episode for today. Of course, if you would like to see more, I make plenty of uh, free content over on TikTok. There is the podcast here as well that has prior episodes. I also did a two-part episode on the Witch Talks podcast with Hannah from Suburban Witchery. You can connect with me uh, through my regular Twitch streams. We stream every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday evening starting at 6.30 MST. I'm fairly active with my Discord community. And of course, more bonus uh, exclusive content you can find through Patreon. My shadow work and witchy stuff and like back cosplay posts tend to go over to Patreon and of course Patreon members get access to a personalized group session that happens once a month um, in Discord. And of course there is the spicy content which ranges from a plethora of kinky content that has like zero sexual energy of any kind to full NSFW. Like I said, I have a lot of fun with that. <laughs> that crash you just heard was, uh, this is Smoky Quartz. I now have two, two guinea pigs. You see them fairly frequently over on Twitch and Instagram. He just had, uh, surgery. He just had surgery a couple weeks ago. Yes, whoa, yes you did. You had surgery. Because, uh, Milky Quartz, his, uh, partner is a female. Female guinea pigs' hips can start fusing together as they get older, which means getting pregnant kind of has some risk there for them. Brave little Smokey here had had a little bit of surgery. <laughs> Mom's working. <laughs> but yes, House House of Quartz has expanded to our little our little babies here, and he has healed up very nicely. He did so good. Yes, you did, baby. So thank you all for tuning in and supporting my content. You are ever so appreciated, and if you have any more questions, of course, you can find me across a variety of platforms. As always, like I've been saying throughout the entire episode, attention is a basic human need. You are not a burden, and I hope you found some of this content helpful today. Keep chasing all of those things that make your brain go Okay.